This is the Context Matters Podcast, and I am your host, Cindy Parker. I am an educator, explorer, writer, and speaker. I enjoy gathering around the table with interesting people who have very different life experiences from me and talk about God, Bible, theology, and other tangentially related subjects. Your voice is always welcome around this table. You can reach out to me through my Narrative of Place website. It is so good to be back with all of you again for Season 5 of Context Matters. And for this episode at the beginning of the season, I have to acknowledge my Patreon team members. They make this whole project possible, and none of us could have gotten to Season 5 without them. So thank you all. I wanted to start this new season by bringing back a much-loved voice from season one, my sister and constant conversation partner, Carrie Jenkins. I called her so we could talk a little about the art of conversation. Do you remember when we did all the intros for season one? I do. Do you remember what we were calling you, what your honorific title was? Oh, shoot. I was like the representative of the common person, or I was the token common person. Token? That doesn't sound kind enough. It, a token common person. <laughs> well, I was I was something as far as I represented the common person as opposed to the extreme academic that people like yourself are. But I do remember, and you were just launching this journey So it was super exciting because there was so much unknown and so much excitement about the guests and the topics that you had already lined up. And we were all cheering you on. And I don't even think you had your intro music at that time. Maybe you did. Oh, right. One of the things that I tell people that I really love about doing the podcast is it gives me an excuse to talk to really interesting people. And Mm -hmm. I think of you a lot because you're so good at being really curious about who people are and what their story is. You and I have talked about how challenging conversations can be these days. And Mm -hmm. I'd be curious what you think our current context is like and how curiosity can maybe help us fix some of that. I think I have an extremely active imagination. And so either I will write the story for the person in my own head, or I can actually ask them what the true story is (laughs) about themselves. (laughs) I think that's what kind of leads to that natural curiosity, because oftentimes I've been very surprised by somebody's story and encouraged or saddened or feeling an entire range of emotions based on what someone else has been through. Also knowing that my own story is so random and so weird and a little unexpected. So I think when that is your own story and your own experience, you start to kind of place that a little bit on other people as well. And you're just more curious. One of, so I'm going to use a Ted Lasso reference here, Ted Lasso, the TV show. I know most of your people use references from like ancient Greek scholars, but but I (laughs) representing... (laughs) Representing the common person, I'm going to use a Ted Lasso reference. I <laughs> a love it. Fictional character <laughs> on a show. I'm not necessarily promoting because you know. But anyhow, right. there is a scene in which he is set up to fail, 
in a dart game and he ends up winning, but he has this monologue that's brilliant because the reason he was set up to fail is the assumption was that he would not be successful in this situation. And as he proceeds to then win at this dart game, his commentary is, wouldn't it be nice if we could get back to just being curious instead of judgmental? And it's this entire thought-provoking moment of, we've all gotten so good at becoming judgmental that it has robbed us of curiosity. And not only that, but we have gotten so caught up in being judgmental because it's what we do these days. We have been taught that through our politics, through social politics, through our churches, everything. We just have adopted a very judgmental self and standard of living. But what if instead of being judgmental, we actually just became more curious? And not only that, take it a step further. And what if we just weren't so afraid to change our mind about things? Because there are times that our curiosity leads us into conversations that make us actually go, huh, I had never thought of it that way. Maybe I'm going to change my mind about how I feel about this, that, or the other. But it takes a lot of courage to be willing to be vulnerable enough to be interested in an opposite viewpoint in somebody else's story. I've had a few conversations with people recently where I'd, I'd talk about my chagrin at the challenge of getting people to want to join complex conversations. And yep. they usually just tell me, Cindy, it's, it's fear-inducing because I don't know where the conversation's going to go. And sure. I don't know how it's going to test my boundaries. And sure. like what you just said, I don't know if it will require me to change my mind. And that can yeah. feel unsteady. What do you do with those feelings of unsteadiness? I think also, I think they threaten our ability to, to defend a thought process that we've had maybe for years and years and years that you just adopted from somewhere randomly, who knows where a parent, it's generational, your culture, I don't know, that you somehow have this thought process, an idea that you just stand super firm on and have no idea where it's rooted until someone challenges it a little bit. And all of a sudden you realize, I don't even know how to defend my thought process. Like I have no nothing to defend it with other than it's just what I know to be true. And that's scary because it makes you feel, it questions your intelligence, it questions all kinds of things. I think that those uncomfortable conversations, they just require practice. They require a total stepping away from the things that you feel define you, the ideas that you feel define you, and being very vulnerable and very willing to engage without being defensive, angry, all those things that we become instantaneously because they feel threatening. But I, I think the whole idea of them feeling threatening is is the perfect description for sure. It's hard. It's hard. And I find that Every time I go to Israel and engage with Israelis and Palestinians and Muslims, Christians and Jews and atheists, it is an exercise in trying to hear other people's 
story and perspective. And something that's been really challenging that I keep trying to introduce my students to is we can talk to people who experienced the same thing, but they're telling their story in a very different way. It requires us to be okay with not coming to a conclusion to a certain extent. You know, if I, if I really love and respect and uphold the humanity of someone who is coming to a very different heartfelt conclusion than another friend or companion about the same thing, I don't necessarily have to choose who's right and who's wrong in order to continue to love them. And that is true. But what you do have to choose is to want to sit and listen instead of sit in order to defend your own views. And I think when you sit with the intention to listen and be curious and open-minded, you could end up at opposite sides of the spectrum, but there is a beautiful respect that has happened in that space. As opposed to if you come to a conversation already anticipating what your argument's going to be, that you are right and that you must change their mind. When really, no, you don't, you don't need to do any of those things. You just need to be present and listen and be curious. Well, for the very beginning part of season five of Context Matters, I'm going to venture into the territory of conversations with Israelis and Palestinians and expats who live in both of those territories <laughs> and and what it means, how, how we can hear their stories and listen well. I think that's going to be a beautiful conversation because when I think about having lived overseas myself, what I would have lost out on if I had not been willing to just engage with someone completely different than me, it makes me so sad. There's so much life and so many very fascinating humans out there that we can't let these defined notions keep us from experiencing that. We just can't. I'm excited about this conversation. I think it's one that needs to be had. I think there's enormous amounts of misunderstanding and misinformation when it comes to the people groups that you're going to be talking to. I look forward to hearing what they have to say. If you follow me on social media, you will have known that I spent a good portion of this summer in Israel. This was a summer of helping students learn how to listen to the way other people tell their stories. Now, of course, we also cover geography, rocks, and roads. I can't help it. I love that stuff. But we also layered in some political conversations with people who live in the land now. Now, I don't mind complicated conversations. I do mind debates. Those drive me absolutely crazy. I realized ages ago that I rarely know the whole story, and I have a limited perspective on just about everything. As a result, I tend to ask a lot of questions. I mean, hello, I have a podcast. In the past 17 years that I lived in Israel or have led trips to Israel, I think conversations about Israel and Palestine can be some of the trickiest conversations. I have noticed how many visitors come to the land and they come from different church denominations and from different parts of the world and they have very specific and solid opinions about Israel without always knowing why they are so certain about their opinion. And it's, well, it's complicated if we're honest. 
Israel is a place that is so rich and thick with history. People tell how they belong to this place by reaching deep through layers of this thick history and hold on to the layer that supports their sense of identity. So this summer, when I was with my students, I just encouraged them to be attentive to which layers of history different people who live in different areas of Israel and Palestine naturally gravitate towards. And I thought I'd bring that exercise to you. Plus, I'd love for you to meet some of the boundary-busting people for whom I have tremendous admiration. We are going to start this week with a friend of mine, Adel George Habash. We met when he was the driver for one of my groups, and I knew right away that he was unique. He brought a whole different energy and level of curiosity and compassion to the way he interacted with me and with group members. Plus, I thought it would be interesting for you to have a chance to meet someone who travels the whole country on a regular basis and has a crucial role in hosting tourists, but who also is not given a lot of time to speak to groups. I think you will quickly feel endeared towards Adel. I started the conversation as I usually do. I asked him where he grew up and how did that influence the way he thought about God and religion. So lean in and enjoy the conversation. I was born in uh, Jerusalem, in the Holy Land, in the uh, Holy City. Uh, I am a Christian person who uh, grew up uh, learning about God and the teaching and works of Jesus Christ. I also graduated in uh, Torosanta High School, uh, which is located in uh, Jebshe. It's a street, uh, it's an uh, old city in the Holy Land too, either. And uh, this school, it's uh, taught me uh, more about my religion. And uh, I've been behind uh, also the public church and uh, all the places that is uh, religion for a Christian. So this is not affect me for uh, for my Christianity, actually. And uh, it's helped me to grow up with the Christian, to be better, to get grace and faith in the Holy Land. Uh, my uh, parents, oh, my, sorry, my uh, family, actually, uh, I I been don't care where they going to to have a mass. They don't, where they get uh, uh, to to do things because uh, that the school also they are been in Rosary High School and in Saint Joseph High School. That also they teach uh, the Christianity and uh, the steps of Jesus and all this stuff. So uh, I don't been care that when they get the mass or where, because the end they will get uh, the things of Jesus. What is Jesus, his life and steps of Jesus? It's so interesting just growing up in the old city, because I think when I'm in the old city in Jerusalem, Christianity looks like very different things inside the old city, because you have all the different patriarchs of the different right. Catholic church, the Orthodox churches, you know, and that's Syrian and Armenian. And so that's right. was all of that, did it feel normal? to you to see all of those different uh, types of Christianity? Listen, we have like uh, more than uh, than uh, uh, one type of Christianity. We have a Syrian Orthodox, 
we have uh, Coptic Orthodox, we have Greek Orthodox, we have Ethiopian Orthodox, uh, we have Armenian Orthodox. So this is five uh, Christianity people. Uh, they celebrate uh, Easter and uh, they celebrate also Christmas, mostly on the same time in uh, in their uh, calendar uh, time. Yeah. Uh, the Catholic they ch- they. Uh, um, uh, do it in a different time, like 24th of, uh, of December, it's Christmas Eve, and the 25th is Christmas. So they, 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 the, the only thing, it's only the date the, uh, with the Christians. The thing that it's really affect you about your our religion, about Jesus, about things, because most of them, in the end, they rejoice that Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. We share this common person that we really like. Yeah. How do you think growing up in the physical place where events in the Bible took place, did that just feel normal to you or did it feel special? Did it feel like your faith and Christianity was real because you're seeing those things, you're seeing that hill every time you go to the grocery store or something like that? You know, how did the physical place influence what you think about Christianity. You are you're absolutely right, 100% right. These things, it's give us really to feel more that we are beside the God. Mm. And when we see a lot of people, they coming to visit from all the world, they, they cut like, uh, uh, I don't know how many mileages or how many kilometers to come to the Holy Land. And I am behind the Holy Land. I am waking up with the, to see the, the tomb of uh, the Sepulchre Church, to see the power, uh, tower of the uh, Lutheran Church. Mm-hmm. You know, that is give you really uh, something in your heart that uh, you've been happy. Uh, and also on Sunday, when you hear all the ring, boom, 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 you know, you feel really that you are in mass. Even even if in this day you don't went to the mass, but you still feel it and you have it in your home. Yeah. So each Christians in, in, in Holy Land, they should and they must to feel these things. Because first of all, if they are uh, really, they have a faith, they have a grace. They believe that uh, Jesus is uh, sacrificed his blood on the cross for us. So I think that uh, everybody, they've been happy and everybody uh, that uh, they say, what this is grace that God give me or mm-hmm. give them or give our family to live in this uh, city. You talk about the church bells, and that is something I really like when I'm in Jerusalem. They go, they go off in different parts of the city, but... We also hear the minarets and we hear the Muslim call to prayer throughout the day, too. So you get right. that saturated into your house. You, you cannot forget that you're in a land that is sacred to a lot of different people. For me, I'm just uh, to tell you that we grow here with the three religions, people, Muslims and Christian and Jewish. And uh, for me, example, I never have any problems because really we are appreciate each other in Holy Land here. Mm. Uh, we are grow up together here. So we are a part of a friend, part of family here. 
Like I have a friends of Muslim guys, they are good for me and I am good for them. And we uh, celebrate, uh, come to say, when they have Eid al-Adha or they have uh, any religion holiday, I just wrote to them in the Facebook. They wrote to me uh, within Christmas. You know, we have each other. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have also friends that they are Jew. I have a, a rabbi that uh, all the time, since uh, I was talking about since 1994, until <laughs> now, we still are friends together, you know. <laughs> and uh, he all the time he talked to me and I talked to him. And uh, listen, we are living together here. Be- uh, also, don't forget that with work, with the job, with the uh, schools, on the road, you know, on the public transportation, mm-hmm. everything. So we should to be together all the time. Yeah. We don't need to define each other. Yeah. I this is what I'm thinking here, really. I love that you brought that up because a lot of people on the outside see Israel and Palestine as being constantly in conflict where everyone hates each other and that they need to hear stories like yours where people are fully capable of getting along and having mutual respect across their differences. Listen, uh, if we will go away from the politica, we will live good here. Yeah. Because really, uh, I think that the people that they are working on politics, they don't need that to be. They need everything to be uh, with damage, everything to be uh, people to worry, people to think about it, you right. know. But I think if we get a really, really peace in the Holy Land, it will be uh, like how they've been saying that it's the Paris, Paris, it's, will be, it's been, uh, they, they take it like a, a wow, you know. So here it will be like Paris, you know. It will be a free country. It will be a lot of job for everybody. And it's really, it will be very, very nice. Yeah. But I hope that it will be real peace, real peace. You know, this is something I hear all the time. People who live there, who want peace, people who are working together or organizing imaginative programs to build peace, We simply don't hear about the schools that have Arab and Jewish students learning together or chefs who cook together. By the way, have you seen that movie called Breaking Bread? I love it so much that I actually own it. Or the international nonprofits that get Israeli doctors to perform life-saving heart surgeries on kids from Gaza and Iraq. These organizations do not get the same press, but they are full of people like Adel who know that living in peace is possible. It just takes practice learning to have compassion on people. Anyway, back to the conversation. I asked if with all the different people that Adel knows, if his Muslim friends or the rabbi he's known for years, what happens during times of intense conflict or when there are rockets that are bursting in the air? What is their friendship like in those times? Still, still the same. Yeah. Still the same. Because it's a grow with a strong, uh, a strong way, you know. It's not that it's one day or one week. We're talking about a long time, about 30, 30 years, not more than 30 right. years. Yeah. It's make like you are a friend, you are brothers, you know. You are really, it's, it's not affect that things. No, I don't think so. 
Never. You and I met when you were the bus driver for one of my groups. And right. I knew the very first day I was like, oh, I like this guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> Thank and, you. Thank you. Well, and you and your wife, you invite me to your home when I'm in the land, and it's like right. it's such a wonderful. And you welcome anytime too. Thank you, and I know you You're mean welcome. that honestly. Of course, of yeah. course, honestly, I mean that. Yes. I would love to know how you ended up driving buses for a tour company in Israel. What, uh, was, what was your trajectory like to get there? Actually, actually, I used to work at a, a public transportation bus driver. Uh, it was uh, really very difficult with the hours and to, mm. with the hard job, you mm. know, and the uh, work, uh, it's, uh, it's give us a routine on this public transportation. Wake up early, uh, go to the job, back to the home, one week morning, one week uh, evening. And the routine, it's uh, really sometimes give you a stress. Hmm. After that, to work with a tourist uh, so I can break my routine. And uh, give uh, me, uh, when, when I, I uh, break my routine, is to give me more opportunity to get no more people in the world. And more people that they are from several uh, countries, uh, yeah. from several kinds of people, from several kinds of language people, from several kinds of uh, uh, religion people, yeah. you know, and to spend a good time with them. So this give this pushed me up because really I like to meet the people. I like to talk to with the people. This is my uh, inside feeling. How, what is it like for you to travel around in your country but see your country through the eyes of people who are just visiting, who are maybe seeing it for the first time? Really, I am enjoy with the with the, my job because when the people they coming from outside. It's really, uh, they met uh, uh, the place of Jesus, where he was born, uh, where, he, where the steps of Jesus, actually, the places that where Jesus grew. So, like, when we're going to Galilee, and most of the group, we start, like, the Galilee, then we're coming to Jerusalem, because uh, you know that Jesus was uh, uh, actually spent his time in Galilee, mm -hmm. In uh, the uh, like uh, Capernaum, it's the town of Jesus, you know. So all the culture there. So when the people coming and they they heard from the guide about the culture, how Jesus was teaching the people, especially in uh, also the prime ministry of of Saint Peter, the Tabra, where uh, Jesus tell them uh, throw the neck, so they will get all the the fish there and a lot of fish. So people, they are happy. They are glad. So I have also be glad too. Either if I'm, I'm going this places several times, I feel something different in each time I went there. Yeah. Really. I feel different, different things. So sometimes, you know, when I'm being, uh, going there too, also I enjoy the people. I go to the mass. If they have a mass there, I, I spend the mass with them. I, I go to see the things. I, I'm looking on the uh, Tiberias uh, water, and sometimes I feel I'll say, oh, Jesus, how it's, you are great that you walk on this water. 
you know how how I I feel that really something يعني come to say I never see somebody will walk on this water <laughs> and this water especially also too it's uh, like uh, more sweet than any water so it's uh, it's nobody can float on it you know what I mean right so really really when I saw this is and I saw all the miracles that Jesus he did so we I feel born again hmm. Hmm. every time them I'm wanting wow. there even in uh, in Kanaga when uh, Jesus make his first miracle that he turned the water to the wine yeah so really really is interested then we coming back to Jerusalem and we see really the glory of God the glory of Jesus about how he celebrates his blood on the cross how we some okay some people they going to the sepulchral church but some people they thought that Jesus is in the garden tomb it right. doesn't matter it's really happened it doesn't matter the place i don't think about the place i'm think what the people they think on that so also i'm glad on these things hmm. even they going to the garden tomb i'm not worried about that <laughs> because they are really believe what i'm believing even right. in the christ church or in the garden tomb yeah you know yeah so that's really give me more happy and more uh, interested uh, about uh, maybe maybe we are weak a little bit i don't say nothing we are still a human being but really it's give me more push me hmm. and push me for more grace and more faithful And to be honest, he is way more gracious than I am about not caring if people go to the garden tomb or the holy sepulcher. I take people to both, but I feel an intense responsibility to inform them about the true archaeology and historicity of these places. But that is neither here nor there. I am simply glad you got to meet my friend. Next week, we will talk more about how working with tourists and with people of different expressions of Christian faith have encouraged and challenged him. And he will invite all of you to see his land. He can't help it. He is that wonderful and hospitable. Thanks for sitting with us around the podcast table. And once more, a very special thanks goes again to my Patreon team. They have been with me through thick and thin. They are responsible for sustaining this podcast, and I am so deeply appreciative. I produced this episode. Luke Bronner of Milieu Media Group did the edits and the final mix, and Peter Lordson of Sycamore Sound created the music. It is really good to be with you again. I look forward to our conversation next week. Until then, be safe, take care of each other, and stay curious about the world around you. Music.